The Berenstein Bears could have been spelled correctly in a film title for all realities. In honor of Goosebumps, what book from your childhood will they never make into a movie, but should? I'm Katie Rich. Before I give my answers, I feel you should all look up the Berenstein Bears theory on the internet to explain this joke. It is fascinating. <laughs> but I'm not going with Berenstein Bears. I'm going with Many Waters, which is one of Madeline Engel's books in the Wrinkle in Time series. And might not, might not actually be as good as I remember, but it involves time travel and getting back into the time of Noah's Ark. And it's so cool. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to say the Animorph book series for the young adults uh, for the same reason that I haven't reread them because I remember them fondly, but the overall concept seems unbearably stupid to me as an adult. I am Matt Patches. I'm going to go with the 1994 Newberry Honor winning The Ear, the Eye, and the Arm because kids today deserve Afrofuturism. And I'm David Ehrlich. And while I feel like I've used this answer before for one of these questions. I'm going to go with... Sounds like every lightning round Brian question for Brian Jock's The Red Wall series. Uh, I would have loved to see a studio Leica or Ghibli or anyone but Pixar uh, or, or any of those CG companies Lava. take on this epic yeah. saga of mice and not men. Would you say you lava that book? <laughs> no. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 91 for Tuesday, October 12th, 2015, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. We're coming so close the day that Marty McFly arrives for the past. When is the day that he arrives? October 21st, 2015. Are you going to say it after? It's still the year. I guess it is. Yeah, I think we got to stick with it through the end until the year is over. Otherwise, Rod Patches will. If, if the Cubs upset. win the World Series and if we're Cubs... not saying this on the podcast, we'll all feel bad. So we might as well just yeah. commit to it. At least, yeah. at least do that. I am pulling for the Cubs in the World Series solely because it was prophesied by Back to the Future, too. Anyway, uh, before we get into prophecies or anything else this week, we have some new reviews, I hear. We have one from. One new review Euro Cheese. Good name. Fighting is wonderful. I've been listening for over two years, and this is my first time commenting. Just wanted to say I love the debate, and it's not any less fun when I completely disagree. You all bring a strong voice, some louder than others, but part of the fun is the quieter voices speaking up, and I enjoy hearing from all of you. Also, and this is a huge throwback, Patches put out by far my favorite review of Gravity Online. I agreed with everything you said and felt like a lot of the critics missed it. Wow. Wow. I uh, guess my spiritual take yeah. was taken. Take two, now, uh, is your take on The Martian going to be as good, I guess? As the, uh, uh, spoilers! 2015 <laughs> Gravity. We'll see. Uh, yeah, spoilers for the segment to come right now. All right, this weekend, what came out last weekend? The Walk, that bombed. That did uh, not do well. Pan. The pan, bo- panned by critics. I thought Pan did well, no? No, no. Pan did not do no, well. No, Pan did not Not as bad well. as The Walk. The Walk seems to be overshadowing Pan's bomb. I feel Pan like bombed. Pan did worse than The Walk. I think Pan no, did the worse. Walk, the Walk did worse, actually. I think it did worse just overall in culture than The Walk. Pan's not that bad. Say one, say it again. No, wow, the, Pan, Pan, the Walk Pan's did, pretty bad. Uh, the Walk did significantly worse than Pan. That's that's sad because at least there, there's an element of spectacle. See our review for, for more on The Walk. 
What I'm really here to talk about is this weekend I went to see The Martian for a second time. Yes, I took friends and loved ones to uh, – I don't consider friends loved ones. Sorry, guys. Uh, to, to see The Martian. Um, this was my second time after Toronto seeing it. Saw it with the people, you know, the plebes. As we mm. call them, me and um, people like me that people like yeah, Dave. don't go to screenings anymore. <laughs> great, thanks. What is badges. it like to see movies with the people, Dave? What it's, do they think? It's great. Uh, it's like a normal screenings, except like five times more people on their phone and doing shit. Actually, we should definitely start with you, Dave, because so I saw this movie again and still really, really enjoyed it. Knew everything that was coming. I had read the book, so I guess the first time I kind of knew, but the second time I really knew how all the car, every card that this movie was playing. Um, but I walked out kind of elated, just feeling like um, that 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 it was a best picture contender. I went there on I, w- I took to Twitter and I, I just did. thought well, that's all that really matters. Yeah, well, yes. in the second viewing, I think I can make that claim, especially when all the prognosticators are in full force, kind of. Um, crying out against movies that are in theaters and supposing that uh, movies that we have not seen or heard anything about are, are major contenders in a race that we'll be talking about to the end of time, it always seems. Um, but here was a movie that I really thought encapsulated a lot of what we were talking about in 2015. And I think in a previous episode of this podcast, we talked about what Best Picture winners stand the test of time. What do Best Picture winners... I think last Oscar season we discussed what Best Pictures are. They're not necessarily our favorite films of the year, but for me, they're they're movies that... I want to cement this movie into time as a kind of uh, mirror image of whatever this year has been. And for me, The Martian is very much a 2015 movie. Now, I made this comment on Twitter, and who comes out of the woodwork immediately? Well, David does, because David is on Twitter all the time, ready to pounce. He's ready to pounce. Just like a shark under the surface. Yes, I just knew you were coming for this comment. Um, I put things on Twitter just for David, as many people know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what I want to talk about in this in this tidbit. Uh, and I want to start with Dave, who I don't think got to voice his opinion on our Martian review about what he thinks about this movie, seeing it with the plebes. And and Dave, if you think that my my comment here about it being a very 2015 movie, and I guess I should found this in in some context. I think. The Martian is a 2015 movie because it it is about discovery, it's about ambition, it's about science being a popular topic, something that people have hope in. The Elon Musks of the world are renewing science in a way, and and we dream of Mars. You know, NASA saved its Mars uh, water on Mars news just for this movie. Now they gain a lot from its success, I think, but they're they're working in tandem. We're creating popular culture to fuel science in a way, which is really cool if you're into science. Um, and this is also a movie about the world coming together and doing some good. Uh, the, the the potential for forces at constant war to to come together. Am I off base here? Is is The Martian just fluff? Is it entertainment, or does it does it reflect something about 2015 that makes it a Best Picture contender? I would love for it to reflect something about 2015 if that is like we are able to as a nation focus on something as possible or as positive as uh, space travel and space exploration again like the most fun this times I'm going to have about remembering about this year is like 
talking about like Pluto and stuff and figuring out there's water on Mars. I'm not going to want to remember it's the year that we all, you know, realized like school shootings and gun violence were happening. And I don't know how Hollywood's going to want to reflect on the year come January. <clears throat> I mean, outside of the fact that they're all have made a ton of money for the most part. They're going to re-release uh, Well, Elephant. Universal made a lot of money and then everybody else. You know. <laughs> well, everyone else is sort of, they're, they're, they're making uh, slightly above their most, anyway, different conversation completely. In terms of, uh, <laughs> watching The Martian, I, like it a lot in terms of a movie for this season because it's like hopeful and it's uh, I think the best adaptation of a book that I haven't read but from the pieces of it I've seen is more about like the science and the conversation with uh, theoretical space travel it makes you know sort of an Apollo 13 narrative out of it which adds tension to uh, you know learning about being excited about people on Mars. We have to do with like this castaway thing, but considering the book is like a whole bunch of uh, lists of facts and uh, chemicals, I feel like this is a compelling way to do it. Um, I don't know how it would actually win Best Picture, though. I just feel like there are other things about uh cinema in general that can add even to a movie that isn't necessarily narratively of this moment uh that should be recognized and um, it's hard for me to see a political swing in like hollywood oscar giving towards the martian uh, later in the year but maybe 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 i'm wrong i i hope it's a movie of the time in the sense that i hope we turn like a national corner and uh, believing in the sciences again and maybe mm. pushing into space. Uh, I think that would be cool. And But I'm like a kid who grew up and went to space camp and then grew up more and right. was like, oh, man. Wait. You actually went to space camp. I think we've talked about this. but Yeah, we have. But yeah. it, just, it needs to be talked <laughs> Still about Still cool. Still <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, I went to space camp. And then like I for a while I thought I was going to be an astronaut or a physicist. Did you learn to plant potatoes with your own shit in space camp? Yes or no? Uh, no, but oh, I think well, I learned sucks. something similar like, like to that in like eighth grade science. I mean, there are certain wow. things like that was an extracurricular for you. I mean, there's certain things if you're interested in like how to make you know uh, water out of oxygen ga- gases and whatnot, and uh, lighting hydrogen on fire. That you're gonna you're gonna get to uh, just being uh, interested in science. But uh, I think a lot of that it's not something that you could count on all kids and people having that sort of education anymore uh, or if you ever could. And so I think like goosing the American public through cinema to get excited about space <laughs> is fun. Whether or not it was like the most artful movie I see all year, I kind of hope not. Oh, I, I would not mm. make that argument. I would not make that yeah. argument. So the reason when you said the thing about it being a possible best picture candidate, I kind of bought into it immediately for both optimistic and cynical reasons. I think the cynical reasons are that there's a bunch of actors in this movie. Actors vote on a lot of the Oscars. It makes it easier for something to make the way through it. It's crowd pleasing. It's a big movie. I think Gravity came very close to winning best picture if it hadn't been for 12 Years a Slave, which is, you know, a very artful movie that I think deserved to win. Um and I think there's something that we like seeing about ourselves in The Martian, not just the science stuff, which, Dave, I agree with you. If this can be our swing toward believing in the science is more all better for it. But about the teamwork, Patches, you compared it to Frank Capra when we reviewed it. And I think that's a really ingratiating thing about it is kind of showing you the best things about yourselves as Americans and about the government and about working with China, like the way that it cooperates with China in this movie. Is right. It's not a very American positive. movie necessarily. It's not but rah, it's rah. A, Bridge it's, of Spies is probably more American. Yes, but it's American in that like this is NASA. This is people from a bunch of different backgrounds in this movie who are working together, which I think is the 
spirit of America that I like best on screen when it's depicted as a country of immigrants and a country of smart people trying to make the best things out of it. Maybe this is because I've been listening to the Hamilton soundtrack a lot, but I don't know. All of those themes seem pretty resonant to me that I think does give it a decent shot at the Oscars and is part of why it's been such a big hit. Well, honing in more on its its connection to 2015, to the present, you know, that's what I kind of threw out to people after the fact, after seeing it a second time. And, and David came out of the woodwork and said, what you talking about? In his Willis voice. Or no, I guess that's not Willis. He's talking to Willis no, when he says yeah. that. Um, but David, when I when I retaliated against your, your raised eyebrow, I felt like I m- almost got you to understand where I was coming on this. And then you took you said, we have to take this to conversation. And now here we are. So why why <laughs> do you not believe that this is embedded in, oh, in please. present Please, do not day? take my uh, my gracious silence. I, at no, that, that's, that's the best answer I could have possibly gotten. I was so elated to see I you be like, hmm, maybe... There. Maybe, maybe. But it wasn't, I wasn't humming you uh, because I, you know, I was outraged at your comment. I just thought it was a specious argument. I, I didn't really, um, I, I don't think that there is anything that you can really use as evidence to suggest that this is, I mean, I, I appreciate you're putting the idea forward that it's somehow connecting to ideas that are very of the moment. Um, I th- think Katie is off in fucking orbit talking about yeah. ideas of teamwork or whatever. I don't know what movie you watched. She's I mean, slingshotting yes, around the earth right now. There is teamwork in the movie. I don't think that there was a real rah-rah resonant feeling in the film. There's just as much really? bureaucratic noise as anything else. Um, and, and Matt Damon farming potato shit. Uh, but the... Potatoes the ship, 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 yeah, whatever. Shit potatoes. <laughs> it sounds a lot um, like a review I was listening to recently. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, I think, uh, I think... If you want to look at the reasons why it's done so well, it's probably a confluence of factors. I think that um, maybe this was a good time to release a broadly optimistic blockbuster um, that was very straight to the point. I think that the simplicity of the story is probably a big appeal. Uh, The posters tell you in just a few words the, the the. thrust of the story bring him home bring him uh, home like, that's like someone's like oh, okay <laughs> oh but is that a negative i mean being uh, simple that? and being universal in that way to be so blunt like here is the mission this, no, that's how you a, get rah rah that's how you a, get team it's up. not a negative i just don't no. think that is necessarily connected to the moment other than people wanting uh maybe to step away from how grim our reality is but you're talking about the space rate you're talking about going to yeah. mars i see a movie like um i understand i appreciate that this movie is more grounded in sciencing the shit out of things and appeals to um, a less of a pseudoscientific and more of an actual scientific mind. Uh, but as far as tapping into that sense of discovery of, of the universe at our fingertips, um, and I alluded to this in our review episode, uh, regardless of their merits as films, I think that something like Interstellar really caters to that, that sense of adventure and pioneering more um and if one movie of the two is really to tap into that that sense then then I, still it would be it um i do think that they played it very well with the whole business about finding water on mars but whether or not that actually translated into people going to the theater who knows i it's funny i this past weekend was the new york comic-con and i sat on a panel for rotten tomatoes where i didn't expect to do this but i became the defender of christopher nolan movies um yeah which a lot of uh, New York Comic Coners, they hate Christopher Nolan movies. Was not Wait, expecting really? that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, they, they came to the microphone and were like, uh, Inception sucks. Interstellar sucks. I love Interstellar. I watched it again the other night. 
It's a mesmerizing movie. I think it's very emotional. It's about people. It's about time passing. I don't think it's really about exploration necessarily, which I know that's a component of the film. And why I think The Martian... I like Interstellar more than The Martian. Uh, just as, as the exhilaration of watching both of those films. I'm much more invested in Interstellar, but I love The Martian. And I think The Martian is just tethered to today in a very profound way. Uh, I, I think you're incorrect, David. I think, I think this is about... The times that we're in, it is rah-rah. It is bringing people together around the issues that are... are I'm not saying you're wrong. We're being I'm saying that with. I need a more compelling argument sure. to care that you're right. <laughs> but... I, um, I don't know. I don't know how more compelling it can we'll get see, if... Uh, we'll see how it goes. I think uh, as, as far as the Oscars, it's been bandied about as a, sort of the populist pick for, for a nomination, which whatever, who cares? Um, but as far as a win go... Uh, if we're really talking about it in those terms, um, I don't think that it has I'm more concerned chance. with its, its cultural legacy than anything. And yeah, I think uh, at, at this point, when we are trying to figure out if, if NASA has a future, if exploration has a future, if science education has a future as it's being warred against by people you know, who, who want all sides, all opinions, you know, creation versus evolution, that sort yes. of thing. This is, a, this is a war that's taking place in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools. And, and, and this is the, the Martian puts its foot down and says so science is very important. buying a ticket to Martian is like uh, casting your vote in this in this Favor uh, of cultural science. I, I, I do. And I think the Martian is a movie. I thought about it the second time. I'm like, I can't wait. I would show a kid this movie and be like, this is what science can do for you. And I think that's what the last scene of the Martian is all about. You know, like, this isn't about me surviving on Mars. It's about me problem solving and using my brain. And that's really... That's a really important lesson. That's, for that's fair enough. Uh, it's sad that we live in a world where people... Yeah, that, that this is a conflict. Uh, I refuse yeah. to... Maybe my, that's it. Without it being brought to my attention, I really refuse to consider that. But, uh, <laughs> that's why you don't think it's relevant because you, you're living in a, in a utopia where you you're not been listening to Ben Carson staring this player. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Um, yeah. I just uh, uh, I don't think that makes it a good well, movie, but I think that fair. yes, it may instill some positive values. Uh, to wrap up this segment, I will be profoundly sad. I will just be devastated if people do not if if mankind does not get to Mars in my lifetime. I don't know if huh. anyone else feels that way, but I've been thinking about it more and more. NASA. Stop tweeting about going to Mars. Go to Mars. I'm upset. Until you do. Uh, so, so by the time we are airing this show, the second season of Fargo has premiered on FX, and I promised David that I would uh, not spoil as of this anything. I've watched the first twenty minutes of the first episode of season two, <laughs> so I understand now the anthology element of the show, and and I know enough. To Wait, that was where... not on your radar. You thought it was going to no, be like I, an I actual watched Fargo sequel for the first series? time no. last week after. Uh, about two years of thinking that it sounded way beneath m me and my time, uh, and uh, <laughs> fell in love with the, the first season. I mean, it seems like such this a phenomenally bad idea. This is an important lesson for you. This, this is, is something a heartwarming that story. you wrote off and you rediscovered and actually liked. Well, part of my, my new job is going to involve watching television more than I have, and so I decided to start with the kind of shows that... The people um, watch. The acclaimed hour... No, the acclaimed sort of hour-long... Dramas, I blitzed through the Nick first season, which I loved, and uh, I also loved Fargo, uh, and now I understand where in the chronology 
the second season takes place, they make it pretty clear early on. So uh, well, that it, much in I, the, in this second in the in this mini segment, I really just wanted to bring up the fact that Fargo is coming back. It's an acclaimed show; people do seem to love it. And David, I'm interested why I know that you've had a very strong reaction to it. Katie hasn't seen it. Dave, you have, so you need to chime in. I don't know I, how you feel about Fargo, so you definitely have to chime in. I think but it's please like, tell me why you like it because you know what? I don't. I know. I think uh, I, it's 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 like Breaking Bad, but but with a, a much broader spectrum of human behavior. Yes, that's the problem. Um, uh, no, I love it. I think it's much better than Breaking Bad. I think the characters are far more interesting ah. and nuanced. And I think that uh, it's a fascinating story of at least the first season, which is all I can really speak to, is a fascinating uh, morality tale. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton is literally, uh, I mean, not even, I mean, he's, he's essentially literally, essentially slash literally playing the devil uh, in his battle for uh, what's his face from The Hobbit, Martin... Help me out Freeman. here. Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, his uh, who is brilliant. Uh, in, uh, in in they all strike just the right tone uh, for his soul, essentially, and uh, um, in this sort of slippery slope towards hell for him. Uh, I thought it was so involving, so clever, so bold. The direction and the storytelling, the turns it takes, the chances uh, and gambits that it makes. Uh, I thought it was so fascinating, and I love from the twenty minutes of the second season that I've seen <laughs> how they slotted into this broader storybook i think they have found a way to um maintain interest in the anthology like format in a way that the massively inferior true detective uh completely failed to do so I, i'm totally on board um i i absolutely love the show dave what about you I, i'm not sure where you stand on the on the fargo uh, I, I enjoyed it. I watched it after the first season ended uh when like all the reviews kept coming back positive i'm yeah, like all right it. now yeah. i could finally get a hold of it and I did, and I enjoyed it, but I think it would have been a lot more frustrating if I was dealing with it <clears throat> week to week um, than being able to watch it all the way through, just because I think that uh, there's something about the turns that it takes that I think would have messed with the tone if I had to hmm. stop and like really like live with it uh, for you know a full week before seeing how it ended up. Uh, but as it was, I really enjoyed seeing the first season, and I really enjoyed the sort of anthology uh, nature to it, which I think we could talk about. I don't know. I was listening to Colin Hanks talk about it on another podcast, and he's not even in season two, so I don't know how, how he has to say it. But like, season one is sort of like a sequel to the movie and an echo of the movie. In season two, very takes much place. An echo. Yeah, it ties in in a, in a very interesting. I found that very frustrating way. personally, but. What, to I be mean, an I, echo I, and a sequel? Yeah, I don't like how it echoes and calls back to it. Honestly, I think Kamiko the Treasure Hunter amazing. really paved the way for this. Because <laughs> it, it's so... Except they happened at the same time. You can't attribute well, one to me, the other. I, I mean, I'm not saying that they actually had an influence on the creation of the show. I'm just saying that for me as a viewer who doesn't really, first of all, doesn't get all with my panties in a twist about how they play with the mythology of these things, but also... Oh, hold on! I'm not getting, um, like, panties no, in a, which also, is... All, that's I'm a sexist I'm just term. saying that the idea of uh, playing around with the Fargo mythos had already been sort of ingrained in my head so that uh, it was very easy for me to decide, oh, okay, that's how the, the money is going to factor into this. And um, even though it's that... that the <laughs> character involved in that scene is one of the less successful elements of season one... Um, it didn't really get in my way of, of uh, enjoying the show. To be I clear, like I also I also universe. saw Kamiko before I actually watched the Fargo TV series, so I was prepared to 
to have this subvert or 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 run parallel or or toy with mythology. Actually, I thought it was kind of exciting to mimic, but I, I found the first season to kind of um, you, especially in like maybe first four or five episodes, really used the Fargo film as a crutch. Um, and I really like Billy Bob Thornton in the film or in, so the, in the TV good. show, and I really like so Allison good. Tolman who plays the kind of Francis McDormand stand-in. This this. Uh, and police young officer Katie Molly Rich from Moneyball is in this. Yes, she oh, yeah? is, but barely, like in no, kind of she, an incumbent. She, she plays a importantish role. Am I the killer? No. Yes, oh. you murder eighteen <laughs> people in this film. Um, there, it is good. not a mystery as to who the killer is in Fargo. What's interesting to me is the the kind of grievances I had with the first season. I kind of grew to in, enjoy or at least tolerate a little more. I really like the performances. In the second season, and I won't get into spoilers, David, but uh, in the second season, when you lose its its ties to the original Fargo movie, I start seeing this kind of like thin, it's basically like Law & Order SVU with more cinematic qualities. Like there's more musical montages, there's more fancy direction, and it feels, in, in individual moments, I find Fargo very valuable. But as storytelling, as prolonged storytelling that feels plodding along, especially in season two. It's so thin. It's so it's it's really just procedural. It's I just want to watch an episode of SVU and get it all out of the way. Well, with Fargo. I can only speak to season one, which I found to be very not thin and, and much more involving than any yeah. procedural. And uh, I really, you know, this is a bigger frustration that we could talk about maybe in a segment three down the road. But it's really hard for me to give a shit what anyone who says who's only seen four episodes of a ten episode series. I mean, like, it's well, you don't like, have to I, discredit me. I'm talking. Well, no, I'm talking I, about my I, frustrations I with season one and fine. season two. Going that's, into season two, hoping fine. for something different. I'm not taking this out on you. This is a conversation I had on Twitter with some other people earlier in the day. I, this is not their decision to make. This is not a moral failing on their part. It's just frustrating to me uh, to to receive this criticism. But how? Yeah, do, but will, isn't that what will, television asks you to do? Buy into something to long form storytelling, where you make decisions based on how many episodes you see. You're, you're less you're so way, now that's that how we have these. Watch. Less so now that we have these ten episode series, and I think they're really going for that more condensed idea. And you, of course, you have the the increased prevalence of shows that are released all at once. And it's just I come back to this idea of not reading a review of a book from someone who's only read four of the ten chapters. Uh, I appreciate that mm. people can come back later on and be like, "Well, I wrote this about these four episodes, and then I changed my mind." I think it's all interesting. It's just I don't know. I find, um, I, find, I think you're asserting yourself a little bit high and mighty when it comes to that. Like we can this is how we make judgments about television. I watch episodes and I want to invest in in the full experience or I don't. I want to well, be compelled right away. I don't want to have to wait the 10 episodes. Like sure, that's, no, that's no, the I investment mean, I, you make. I think that's you know, phony the, to say that you're undercutting good. people who've seen four episodes. Like come on. The it gets good argument. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like the criticism is incomplete uh, for this bigger thing. But at the same time, I've always preserved the luxury of not watching a show until it's been ideally on the air for several years and thoroughly vetted. I know that it has a future. Um, and now, that well, welcome to your new job. Because you're going to have yeah, to start uh, this asserting be a, these things a reality earlier. Of mine. But, yeah, um, I think I think the four episode structure is something that's really valuable just for the way that most people are watching television or the way that they want you to watch television. They want you to watch something like Fargo week to week. And David, you're talking about the way that people will check in and say, I said this then and then I say this now. Like, it's not, it, it is in some ways like reviewing an incomplete product, but that is for now the way that television is consumed and the way that television works in this kind of narrow right. narrative. And, the, and like the, opposite, the opposite happens. I mean, I watched the first eight episodes of Daredevil. Actually, I think I watched the first six episodes of Daredevil, whatever they gave me. And I, I, I 
really enjoyed it. I saw a lot to like, and I was going to invest in more. And I thought it kind of petered out. I mean, it just didn't follow through with the beginning. So it's the inverse there. Like, I was very enthusiastic, and I told me to watch Daredevil in the beginning, and it didn't go all the way for me. So I don't really see doing the same in the in the opposite way with Fargo. I'll probably stick with Fargo. It has some intriguing uh, storylines in, in season two. But right now, I'm thinking this is very this is kind of a thin drama. I've watched four episodes, and I don't see like the deeper the deeper meaning here. There's a lot of interesting characters without a lot of substance. Well, we'll revisit this in yes, 10 please. Weeks. There are no cats in America, but back home in Mother Russia, oh, our family was traveling through the snow to Minsk. Suddenly Papa saw those huge paw prints When I heard him screaming I fainted dead away And I woke up an orphan (gasps) But 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 there are no cats in America And the streets are paved with cheese Oh, there are no cats in America So set your mind at ease Okay, this week, um, Steven Spielberg's new film, Bridge of Spies, comes out. Uh, We've seen it. We're going to review it later this week, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. Some of us will be seeing Goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, really, 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 really quickly. Did you see Goosebumps, David? Uh, no, uh, no I, ha- <laughs> I haven't. I haven't yet, but I will be uh, soon. Okay, we'll check back with you on that. Steven Spielberg's yeah. Goosebumps for later. Um, right in this segment, I wanted to do a little trivia round. We all enjoy playing games, and I think this would lead to some interesting conversation because I don't want to talk about any movies that Steven Spielberg has directed. Oh shit! Oh boy! Um, Threw us for a loop. Yep, gotcha. Wow. I, I really want to just talk about movies that Steven Spielberg has produced, um, oh, or that no. his name is stamped on, which I think is fascinating. Bridge of Sp- I, I, all of Steven Spielberg's directorial efforts, uh, I believe, have been produced by him in some capacity. Um, but these are. Is someone typing back there? You better not be looking up Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I just googled right baseball NLDS out of seven. Well, I don't even know what that means. I was struck by a curiosity whether or not these series are uh, best out of five. I'm listening to Patches. I am too. All right, <laughs> totally. Just, you're going to lose. Actually, David's probably going to win. He usually does. I hope so. But, so yeah, He's so, Googling the answers. I want to I talk about Steven Spielberg's uh, producing moments here. Um, you know, a lot of these movies that we'll be talking about, uh, he gets his name slapped on because of DreamWorks. Um, if they make them. Spielberg usually has approved that, and it gets funneled through the, the, the green lighting process, the production process. But then again, like, Steven Spielberg seems to take a lot of control over that. Uh, he'll show up to set to, to help some of these hacks who have directed <laughs> Steven Spielberg-produced movies over the years, uh, to use, I guess, just a, a, a rude term. To, uh, to describe some of these guys and, and gals. Um, but uh, let, let's, let's, let's do this. I think I have come up with enough questions for all three of you. Uh, at first, I was just going to go want, like scream out the answers, but now I believe my thorough research has allowed you all to, uh, to jump in here. So who's first, who's second, and who's third? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay, I'll do, Dave's going to be number this. one. Ooh. Who's number two? I'll go number two. All right. Love going number yeah, two. Katie's going to be number yeah, three. You <laughs> love going number two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea how the difficulty levels are here. 
Um, someone might be slammed. Someone might have an easy ride to victory. We'll see how it goes. Some of these questions might not even make sense because I wrote them really, really <laughs> late at night. But um, just remember, around already. yes, just remember, people are listening, so uh, try not to mm and uh your way through these questions. All right, but we'll also be chatting about these movies because they're fun. All right, in this first round, I'm going to start just naming people in this movie. Um, and, okay. And, you you have to you have to chime name, in. Name name okay, so it's a movie and you're gonna name the people in it. And I'm gonna give you extra points if you can name it earlier than later. Okay. I, I haven't determined how many points yet, but we'll see how it goes. So Dave, here we go. This okay. is a Steven Spielberg produced movie starring Halle Berry, Kyle McLaughlin, Elizabeth Taylor. Holy shit. Guesses? Oh uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Rick Moranis. Oh, the Flintstones. Yes. Yeah. And what was Elizabeth Taylor doing in the Flintstones? She was playing a mother and a wacky Rick mother. Moranis. The Rick Moranis movies, there's only so many. Right. And yeah. of course, John Goodman. <laughs> uh, I'll give you two points for that one. All right, David. You mm-hmm. listening? Mm-hmm. Here we go. This is your favorite movie. So here we go. Mm-hmm. William Sadler. Mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton of Fargo fame. Mm-hmm. You can guess at any time. <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay, Ethan Embry is also in this movie. Oh my god! Anthony Mackie mm-hmm. is in this movie. Any guesses? Produced by Steven Spielberg. Okay, Rosario Dawson oh. is in this movie. Oh, oh shit! Uh, so is Michelle Monaghan. Oh, okay, now I know what it is. Ethan, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and this classic Spielberg joint: Thornton, <laughs> Embry, Dawson. Monaghan. Sadler. All right. You're, you're running out of time here. Shia LaBeouf is also in this movie. Oh, Eagle Eye. Yes. Yeah. You only get one point. <laughs> well, you don't know your Michelle Monaghan classics? Clearly not. <laughs> All right, Katie. Okay. Vernon Wells is in this movie. Of course. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is in this movie. What? Meg Ryan is in this movie. Oh, Jesus Christ. Any guesses? I don't know who Vernon Wells or Kevin McCarthy is, so All right. I'm really... Martin Short is in this movie. God. No, I have no idea yet. And Dennis Quaid is in this movie. Oh, Dennis Quaid shit. and Martin Short. Oh, a little movie sci-fi with... joint. Dennis Quaid. Uh, oh, wait. Spielberg. Dennis Quaid. The 80s. Thinking... Oh, I was thinking of Frequency. Oh. I don't know. You're I done. Don't know. You're done. Yeah, I'm totally done. What? This was kind of a Comedy Central staple for a long time, so some people might know this. Inner Space. The Inner movie Space. Where Martin, oh, yeah. Where Dennis Quaid goes inside Martin Short. I have definitely never seen I that. I believe that's directed by Joe Dante. Fact check me, but I'm, I'm 99% sure. That sounds plausible. All right, in this round, tell Are me Are you which... keeping track of our scores? Yes, of keep... course. David okay. in the lead. Hey. Okay, I didn't it's know if I should be moment. keeping track of my own score. You can also keep track of your own score. And keep track of your score at home because, uh, I don't know, you can tell us on Twitter how many points you got. I'll be interested. Is there an animation round? Because I'd like for that to be now. Oh, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. You don't get to make the rules, Dave. Dave, you just have to tell me which movie made more money. Okay. Okay. What made more money? The Goonies or Gremlins? Gremlins. Ooh. Ooh. I believe you're correct. Yeah. Gremlins made $148 million. Wow. That's a lot of money. Goonies made? <laughs> and uh, the Goonies made $61 million. Wow. That is... Which is kind of not that great, I guess, if Gremlins can make $148 million. Who knows? All right. Uh, David, mm-hmm. what made more money? 
Mm-hmm. Mask of Zorro or Legend of Zorro? <laughs> <laughs> Sequels. Uh, uh, the the first one was The Mask, right? Yes. Mask yeah, of Zorro. Ma- that made more money. That's correct. $94 million, Mask yeah. of Zorro. Antonio Versus Banderas. Uh, $46 million for Legend wow, of Zorro. Wow, big drop off. Why haven't they made another Zorro movie? Actually, the second one made one Mask of Zorro was the big one that like that was Orsi and Kurtzman's big moment. Uh, and look where that and got look us. where it got them. It got them more Spielberg produced movies. Keep that in Dude. mind. Uh, all right, Katie. Okay. Yeah. What made more money, Men in Black, OG, mm-hmm. or Men in Black Two? They I'm made a third one. Oh. Don't forget. I, I'm that. aware they made a third one. I'm gonna say Men in Black Two. Wrong. Men in Black really? made $250 million, and Men in Black 2 only made $190 million, but they decided, you know what? Keep going with those Men in Black movies. We love well, them. But you know what? Like, Take a decade. A, it took them like 12 <laughs> years to make another Take one. Take 10 more years. Go off and do whatever you want. I saw all of the Men in Black movies in theaters. Katie has zero one. points. That's why. Yeah, I really Because do. you saw all the Men in Black movies in theaters, I know. you have zero points. My memory's been erased by that thing. <laughs> all right. Here's some... Um, some kooky things. Some kooky things to know about Spielberg. What, uh, Dave? Here's your question. What okay. Martin Scorsese movie does Spielberg get a producing credit on? Mm. As far as I could tell from my very late night research, he only has a Scorsese directed picture. Only has one Spielberg producing. Only credit one on. Scorsese. Martin Scorsese movie. Spielberg. Oh. Would have not been in the past. It was two not Hugo. Decades. It's got to be like a '80s, early '90s. Yeah, you're on the right Cape, track. Cape Fear. Yes. Whoa. Yes, that's correct. So What's the Cape, connection there? Yeah, Cape Fear was originally going to be directed by Steven Spielberg, um, but he decided it was too violent. He didn't want to make it, and Scorsese was going to make Schindler's List. So what did they do? They traded. Wow. And Spielberg stayed on as a producer. I still would have gone with like Kundun or something, something big. Well, that would have been wrong. Oh, that would have continued to have zero points. So, David, I, what mm-hmm. Peter Jackson movie does Spielberg hold a producing credit on? Directed by Peter Jackson. Directed by Peter Jackson? Um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, when did they not, become friends? Yeah, it's When did be they the decide to make Tintin together? Is it not The Frighteners? It's not the Frighteners. Is it the lovely Actually, bones? Zemeckis. Zemeckis produced the the, the Frighteners. Uh, yes, it is the lovely oh, bones. Gonna, the lovely bones is the other one, but yeah. I, I was going to do Spielberg the favor of not <laughs> not associating <laughs> him with the lovely bones. Well, you know, it, he could have made a great movie. He was thinking about making a lovely bones one movie, of the but decided worst not movies to. Ever made? Oh boy, we should have a. We should all watch that movie again. Maybe we should do an entire. I commentary. wrote. You can go right now and find an old article. I won't. Many Thanks. years ago, that I wrote on Reverse Shot about in a Remember. symposium they did about uh, interesting director or good director's worst films, um, and I went to town on the lovely. I films. will read that, and then I will read your defense of Kingdom of Crystal Skull, and it will yeah. Okay, go. both on Reverse Shot. <laughs> uh, all right, Katie. Okay. What Chance Coen Brothers movie does Spielberg Ooh. hold a producing credit? Coen Brothers. Uh, while Katie thinks about this, they wrote Bridge of Spies. Um, did. And and what? perhaps that relationship was forged during this movie. A movie oh, again man. Spielberg thought it was gonna be. I like I'm again tempted to go really far back in the weird past or the weird past. Whoa. Well like well, yeah, the the weirder Cohen past. Um 
Well, how long has Bridge of Spies been in production? Not too long. years, probably. Back when yeah. it was called St. James Place. Um, let's go with Guess and say, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Wrong. It is True Grit. Oh, wow. Which is uh-huh. also a DreamWorks... It was a DreamWorks movie. It actually... Spielberg was going to direct True Grit, um, but he left it behind when DreamWorks left Paramount. Wow. And then the Coen brothers what? took it over, and Spielberg produced True Grit. Katie, oh, why is he not putting Haley Stanfield and everything, then? Why? She hasn't been in anything, has she? Well, that's what I'm saying. You think of, oh, he you think if Spielberg her. was producing it, he'd be like, hey, it struck some child acting gold. Yeah. <laughs> All right. These are things that um, Steven Spielberg has either said about the movies he's produced or things people have said about Steven Spielberg producing these movies. So I have to tell you if tell it's me, him or not? Tell me, no, tell me the movie that is oh. being talked about here. So okay. Dave, Steven Spielberg said, they're making it all real from the standpoint of the characters. If the aliens never come down in the story, there there's a tremendous, wonderful story of conflicted characters and a kind of a rage war that bubbles up to the surface in the very first act. What movie uh, that Steven Spielberg produced fits that bill? Wait, 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 he produced it, he didn't direct it. Correct, correct. I think I know, I think I you know. You don't get to guess, you have to put up with the next quote. Oh, the aliens are making it all real. In the first act? From the okay. standpoint of the characters. Rage war. Yeah, there's a kind of rage war that bubbles up to the surface in the very first act. I don't do a great oh, Steven Spielberg impression, I guess. God, um, that sounds like that TV show that just ended that he produced, but it's not going to be that. Falling Skies? No. That was it. Falling no, Skies. It's not, not Falling, Falling Skies. Skies. No, it's not. Uh, it's not a television show. It's a movie. I know. Um, Three. Uh, he didn't do. Two. No, nope, I don't know. I don't know. I can't No idea. A- little movie called movies? Cowboys and Aliens. Yes! Oh. Uh, I yeah. will give you that. I will give you that. I'm glad, I said it. I'm glad I didn't remember that movie. Insane. I don't remember there being a rage war. I'll give you that much. Well, there's a rage war between Gruff Harrison Ford and uh, Blank Stare. I remember Daniel Paul Craig. Dano being an asshole. Is oh, that yeah, he gets punched about? several times. They want yeah. the gold. There's a lot of rage there. Okay, David. Someone else is talking about Steven Spielberg in this quote. Steven found with Jurassic Park that the more real elements you have, the better it is. It turned me into an 11-year-old when I first saw them. Say that again? Steven found with Jurassic Mm -hmm. Park that the Mm -hmm. more real elements you have, the better it is. And then he references what he's talking about this movie. It turned me into an 11-year-old when I first saw them. That's kind of vague. Yes, it um, is kind of vague. That's what people say when they're talking to Entertainment Tonight about a movie they're making that Steven Spielberg apparently produced, and there are definitely still photos of him looking through a monitor, apparently guiding and mentoring this movie to fruition. Well, the way you say apparently makes me think that it wasn't Colin Trevorrow. No. Um, Giving it away. They're so real. There's also uh, no so real dinosaurs real. in Jurassic World. They're so real. What sort the real of real elements? Mm. Uh, Steven Spielberg's name is on so much garbage. Uh, <laughs> it really it's is. Hard, All right, it's really hard to know. Oh, Here we go. Uh, I have a guess. Three, two, not, I mean, one. Real wait, steel. Wait. Real steel. Wait, wait. Real steel. Oh. <laughs> I not in uh, not in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up the kid in that movie. Has not dead. done too much. Dead. Who is the director of Real Sean Steel? Sean Levy. Sean Levy from the director of several Alex Mack episodes. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was Hugh Jackman talking about Steven Spielberg 
like loving. You know, he came to set and was like, you know, in Jurassic Park, we used uh, animatronics. So they apparently used real robots and real steel for some of the scenes. All right, Katie. All right, let's get on the board. This is, this is someone talking about Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg sat next to me in a big 100-person theater at Sony. They, there were 98 empty seats, and the lights came up after we just watched my cut of Redacted. <laughs> he turned to me and said, it's awesome. Oh, God. <laughs> what movie what is... It should never work again. <laughs> oh, my God. What, oh, God. Movie, what movie are we talking about here? Is it Zach's... Could it be Zack Snyder? Overuser of the word well, awesome. Well, what Spielberg movie is... Oh, God. It's Come on. Sony. Don't let that Spielberg? throw you off. Okay. Sony is the theater here. That's, like, all I have to go on, because it could be literally anybody. Sat next to me in a big 100-person theater. Said 98 cent empty awesome. seats. First of all, it's where awesome. are we as a culture where a hundred person theater is big? <laughs> it seems big. It seems big when you're the only two people there, um, and when you're giving quotes to hacky uh, TV media outlets. Let's say that one's Colin Trevorrow. With Jurassic World, is your sure guess incorrect? It is Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen, ah. produced by Steven Spielberg. Sit in the corner, Steven Spielberg. That movie is awful. That is, that is not Michael awesome. Ba- that is something Michael Bay would say. It is. Uh, so sad. So very sad. All right. Dave. Yes. Name the two disaster movies that Spielberg produced in the 1990s. There are... There are he, he produced several... Well, these are, these are two definitive disaster movies that Steven Spielberg uh, produced. He disaster. Done, yeah, straight up disaster, disaster movies. movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just go with, you said in the 90s? In the 90s. All right, I'm just going to go with 90s disaster movies and say Deep Impact and Dante's Peak. Oh! I'll give you one point. Deep oh, Impact. One? Deep and Impact, no yes. points to Dave like fucking candy. No, don't worry. You'll have the opportunity here. Deep I'm getting Impact correct answers. is correct. Twister Ooh. is the other one. Twister. Twister. Don't that worry, such a David. Movie. You'll get. You'll. You'll have oh, your chance here. I worry. David, name two Spielberg movies uh, that he produced involving ghosts. Who? I believe these uh, are the only two that involve ghosts, unless like Poltergeist. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Good one. And um, the other movie he made involving ghosts. Well, there are no ghosts know. in Super 8, I believe, I, or the Hundred Foot Journey. He has a producing credit on Always, but I would say that qualifies. Uh, yeah, well, we're not talking. These are not movies he directed. Yes, none uh-huh. of these movies are movies that he directed. Uh huh. Um, did he produce Casper? Yes, he did. Yeah. Oh. Wait. Damn oh, it, look. Lovely Bones, bro. Lovely Bones does not count as ghosts. What? She's not a ghost. <laughs> She's I mean, speaking from the afterlife. It doesn't make me any less right. I don't think that's a ghost. I don't count that as wow. a ghost. I mean, it's not my point. Dave got it right. So if you I had said right. the lovely bones, Katie, I would have thrown we it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have thrown and it. And then we would have spent thirty minutes talking about the lovely bones again. <laughs> I said the more correct. Ghost. I'm pretty yes. sure the lovely bones predates this podcast, so we also, haven't talked about it. Casper has a great scene where Clint Eastwood shows up, and then oh shit, there's so many other people in the scene. Just go on YouTube and watch it. It's it's a scene where Bill Pullman looks in the mirror and he starts turning into people, and they got so many famous people to show up for like one second cameos in this mirror. Wow, scene. I definitely not seen this movie since I would have recognized any of those. Great people. scene. This does not sound familiar to Great me. That's scene. awesome. At two a.m. yesterday, I was just watching Bill Pullman turn into Clint Eastwood. Anyway, <laughs> Katie, 
Yeah. Get ready to have zero points. Oh, good. Name the two animated dinosaur movies that oh. Spielberg produced. Animated dinosaur okay. movies. Is one of them and dinosaur? No. Really? There no. was a movie literally called Dinosaur. I know. That's it a was. Disney movie. Oh, um, before his time see. at Disney. I'll give you a, one more shot. How about Land Before Time? Correct. The Wait, other but one, there were a million of those. Yes, there were, but he produced the first one, so you got that one correct. But the other one is We're Back! (laughs) Exclamation point. A dinosaur dinosaur story. Yeah. Yeah. That was on my uh, James Horner compilation CD that I had in high school. Jesus. Um, Never saw the movie, though. I think I saw it in some sort of re-release situation. Is that plausible? I don't know. We're Back. Totally lost for time. A land before time. Mm -hmm. All right, Dave. As we wrap up here, uh, wait, two more rounds. Eat the for, bad Do I get a point? You for, do uh, get a point, time? Katie. God, yeah. you get, you're on the board. You're on the on board. The board. <laughs> All right, Dave. Name the three movies that Spielberg produced for Clint Eastwood, who appears in Casper. <laughs> but Casper's <laughs> not one of them. <laughs> three movies that Clint Eastwood directed. Favor, he directed. Adapt Casper the Friendly Ghost into a movie. <laughs> you want to get uh, Casper? You want me to play Casper? No, we don't want you to play Casper. That sounds Clint. like the Joker. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so it will be Letters to Iwo Jima. Yes. Um, uh, the other one that was the, the the reverse of that. Can you name it? Oh no! <laughs> Damn, You're doing so well. The the, uh, the less good one. <laughs> the less good one. Yes, of the. Clint Eastwood, Steven Spielberg pairing. Uh, no, I apparently can't name it, and that means I'm gonna lose all this thinking power to find the third one, which is uh, going to be impossible. There were three. I thought you said two. Uh, you said two. Only two. There are three. Oh, there sorry. are three. Uh, Flags of Our Fathers. That's correct. Yeah, and I, I cannot. I cannot think of the third one. <laughs> it's uh, hereafter. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Spielberg. <laughs> I'm only going to oh. give you one point because I totally forgot to come up with three for each of these. So you get one wow. point for that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I make the rules. David, mm-hmm. name the two Tom Hanks-led movies that Steven Spielberg produced but that he didn't direct. Mm. So Tom Hanks mm. is starring, but Steven Spielberg is just sitting on the sidelines waiting for him to be done so that they can make a better movie together. <laughs> Called Bridge of Spies in theaters this weekend. Ah <laughs> oh, man, uh, this is this is kind of this is kind of tough. Uh, yeah, these are not movies in your wheelhouse. These are not. Sansa Lale is one of them. No, I, <laughs> somehow Tom Hanks is great as the uh, <laughs> as the guy who just is in yeah. that one picture. Is one of the answers <laughs> uh, bosom buddies? Um, it's close. <laughs> uh. Is one? Did he produce Big? No. So, no. Fan. Oh, that would be a Castaway. Uh, well, sorry, I thought David was done. Well, I get, I get another. Guess. Well, I'll <laughs> give you, I'll shot. give you one more guess. He gets another shot. Um, uh, I mean, I'm I'll give you two more guesses too. because Dave got two, three guesses. Oh, I see. Kind of, but you're not going to get this. Come on. Um. Okay. Okay. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Yeah. Bachelor party. <laughs> okay. And and. Bachelor Party and Turner and Hooch. No. Oh, you're right. dancing around these Tom Hanks movies. The Money Pit. Mm. Oh, and the Joe Money versus Pit. the Volcano. Oh, ah. man. I love both those movies. Yeah. Never think of those. Here, Katie. Here's a, okay. We're throwing you a bone here. Really? What movie did Steven Spielberg produce for Rob Marshall, the director of Into the Woods in Chicago? 
What? Okay. What movie did he make that wasn't one of those two movies? Oh, yeah. I'm assuming. Um, well, he, he oh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean four. No, wait. No, wrong. I take it back. Nine. Nine. I take it back. No, wrong shit. again. What other movies is Rob? Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh shit! Another Never. movie that Spielberg <laughs> really, really wanted to make. In a hundred years, I would not have remembered Memoirs of a Geisha existed. Which is really sad because I mean, it's like. Classic book, movie that Spielberg talked about making for, for eons. It should have been fantastic. And then Rob Marshall made it. Um, all right. This is the final round. This is the hard round, I would say. Oh, God. Go, go. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Look, none of these were supposed to be easy. It was <laughs> Not supposed to open up a conversation. Wonderful You're conversation. You're asking me to remember Rob Marshall's career. There's a bridge too far. Yes. I watched both American Tale movies. Not for nothing. <laughs> all right, Dave. So the first movie that Steven Spielberg produced was actually Robert Zemeckis's uh, directorial debut. Um, it's kind of about the Beatles. Do you know what the Do you know what it's called? Oh, what the monkeys? What the fuck? <laughs> no, that no, is a that television be Robert, show that, would, that is not about the Beatles. That wouldn't be Robert Zemeckis's first thing. No, 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 I take that back. Um, it is from 1978. It's no, a comedy. no, I don't know it. I don't know it. And it's called "I Want to Hold Your Hand." I knew that one. It wasn't was, Bob Gale involved uh, in that yes, one as well. Yes, it was co-written by Bob Gale, and it's about Beatlemania. It's crazy. Well, did no not know he produced you. that. Learning right, things David. every day. Um, I believe, I believe, I tried to do the research here that this is the first documentary that uh, that Steven Spielberg produced. What is it? I'll give you the year: nineteen ninety-one. Hmm. Was this to me? Yeah, this is to you. That Spielberg produced a documentary in 1991? Yeah. Probably some IMAX shit or something. You know what? For Moon. I'll even tell you, Errol Morris directed it. Oh. Oh. That just makes me feel like more of an idiot for not knowing the answer, ultimately. Well, it's not the thin That's what line. I'm rubbing it in here. Yeah. yeah it's Errol not Morris thin... has made a lot of movies. No, it's, it's not. not th- is it? It's not Vernon, Florida. Certainly not Gates of Heaven. Seventies, Errol Morris, the early. He, it's not. Uh. <laughs> Errol Morris has made more films than you think he has. Yeah, a lot of them are not super memorable. Do you want to know the answer? Wait, no, no. Bu- 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 You're thinking. Uh, Steven Spielberg. What is he? He loves science. Maybe that's a th- that's a thing. Yeah. Documentary about dinosaurs. All right. You're done. No, You're no, done. I can see this movie in my head. Fine. What is it? It is A Brief History of Time. Ah, I have the Based fucking on Blu-ray Hawkins right behind book. me. Wow. You son of Music a bitch. by Philip Glass. You son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Spielberg. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right, Katie. Okay. This is the first foreign language film that Steven Spielberg produced, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, oh, Lordy. Do I'll I give get you the year? year? Yeah, I'll give you the year. 1990. Oh, yeah, that helps a lot. 1990. Little Katie Rich love foreign language love films. And let's be foreign. honest, Steven Spielberg, Mr. Hollywood, not producing a whole lot of, uh, no, of foreign but... films. I think it's important to note who who Spielberg's close BFFs are at this time. Oh, um, God. Think about... I'm, think I'm about sure Coppola made some kind of movie in Italian that I'm not thinking of. What, what people from around the globe... Who who are they? Who are holding hands at this time? What? <laughs> I'll you know what? I'll even give you the director. David's gonna yelp here. Uh, it's Akira Kurosawa. Oh, 
Do you know the film? Mm. Oh, uh, I did not think it was going to be a Kurosawa film. Um, well, then you I, are doomed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I can name a Kurosawa film that it's not, just so I sound silly. Yeah, do it. Fine. Wait, did he make Throne of Blood? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Throne of Blood. <laughs> no, it is not Throne of Blood. David, do you know? What, what was the question? Foreign language film point. produced by Steven Spielberg, 1990. 1990? Yes. It was Rhapsody in August. Wrong. No. 1990? Dreams. Yes, Dreams. Yeah, also dreams. produced by George Lucas. Yeah. Um, they actually, they worked with Kurosawa a lot in the later years of his career when they saved him after his suicide by helping finance Kagabusha. I knew I could count on you for multiple facts. Yeah. There you go. Um, who you won? learned something. I don't know. I need to calculate the score. But, uh... I don't think I won. I don't think you won. I don't think you won either. <laughs> Here are other movies that Steven Spielberg produced. Um, the Twilight Zone. I guess he directed a segment of that. Young Sherlock Holmes, first like CG shot of a uh, man coming out of a of stained glass. That's mm. that's impressive. Harry and the Hendersons. Probably forgot that one. Three O'clock High. I believe that's on Netflix. You can watch it. Balto, classic. <laughs> An American Tale, as Dave mentioned earlier. Sorry, didn't come up, Dave. Um, lots of lots of Super Eight. Couldn't find a way for J.J. Abrams to get in this conversation. So sorry. Um, and The 100-Foot Journey, of course. Oh, yeah. I remember him and Oprah a doing, like, releasing featurettes talking about it. Classic. Okay. Who won? Let's see. Dave got two, three, four, five, six, seven. Dave, Ooh. you got seven points. Wow. That is a mighty number. A mighty number indeed. Have Dave I? got one, two, uh, three, four, four points. Sorry, a rare David. loss for Ehrlich. Yeah, and mm. Katie, I don't think I don't. Think I, I got one point. I got one point. You did get one point. Dave is the winner. Yeah, With seven points. That came wow. fear it. You, you got it, that one. Yeah, yeah. The moral is watch both American Tales. Well, congratulations, everyone who played Steven Spielberg produces movies trivia, and Steven Spielberg perhaps don't produce as many movies in the future. <laughs> That's it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday talking about Crimson Peak and Bridge of Spies. And I believe there's a great number of movies coming out. So we'll have lots to talk about. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you can share the podcast. You can comment on the podcast. Or you can leave more Steven Spielberg-produced questions on our threads. Yeah. I'm... David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-in-chief of Rolling Stone. You can find me I on Twitter. I don't think that's true. No? Oh, I haven't I haven't really decided my job title yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I think that's it. Ed- that editor, good. Editor-in-chief is probably good for now. Yeah. Um, no, I think staff writer is probably more accurate. More accurate, at least. <laughs> um, I. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And you can find all of us together on thefacebook.com at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E, which is also my Twitter handle, or right on geek.com, geek.com, Forbes.com, review.com And it, it's now that David's the editor in chief of Rolling Stone, I'm going to be like a super cool correspondent for some music artist that's like 12. You just wait. Yeah. 
we're all moving on up in this world. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm still stuck at VanityFair.com in the Hollywood section until someone makes me editor-in-chief of Rolling Stone. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, or all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where we're making up job titles. And also, you can submit your answers to this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Goosebumps, what book from your childhood will they never make into a movie, but should? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Friday. 